Let's open our Bibles tonight to Amos chapter number 7. Amos chapter number 7 this evening. And uh, for the past several weeks, we've been preaching through the Old Testament book of Amos. This is part number 12 as we have preached through the book of Amos. I told Brother Ken this morning we have probably only about 30 or 40 more messages and we'll be done. So be encouraged. Amen. They're quiet tonight. They believed me, I guess. Amen. Now, we've probably got maybe a couple more messages here in the book of Amos. I think it'll probably take us one message as we move through chapter number 8 and probably one, maybe two in chapter number 9. But I want to preach to you tonight out of Amos chapter number 7. This is not the first time, actually, that we have found ourselves in this series in Amos chapter number 7. Uh, we've spent a little time, the very first message that we preached out of the book of Amos when we were talking about the heart of the herdman uh, dealt some with Amos chapter number 7. For this portion of the book of Amos is unique in the scope of Amos's prophecy in that it presents to us simply a narrative story about how his message was received or maybe a better way to say it is how it was rejected in the courts of Jeroboam II. And you might say tonight, well, preacher, that's good, but what does that have to do with me? And I would say this, if you're going to be a, a, a someone that shares the gospel, if you're going to be a soul winner, if you're going to tell people about Jesus Christ, if you're going to have a biblical worldview, and if you're going to stand for that biblical worldview, uh, there will be some, thank the God of glory, that will receive that. But you can mark her down, there's going to be some that reject that as well. We need to understand what to expect. We need to understand how we ought to behave and how we ought to react and how we ought to uh, ought, ought to respond. I saw a video just this past weekend of a street preacher that was preaching in uh, in that lawless enclave in Portland uh, that uh, they had there for a few weeks. It's not unusual. Portland has a lawless enclave about once or twice a year. Uh, but uh, I saw a street preacher there. Uh, that had chained himself to a light post with a uh, bike lock and was preaching uh, the truth of God's Word. And you say, well, preacher, you know, do you think that is something that you would do? And I'd say, I don't think they make big enough bike locks. Somebody say amen to that. But uh, this was a skinny fella. But as he was preaching, they were spraying him with spray paint, silly string, mocking him. And uh, just to be honest, we, we've lived in a Christian nation for uh, a long time, really since its inception. I feel as though we're moving into a post-Christian era in our country. Uh, it's not to say that there won't be any Christianity in America, but certainly I don't think it will be the prevailing uh, theme and thought in public life. And uh, things like that are going to get more frequent. Only you won't have to chain yourself to a bike or to a uh, to a uh, street lamp to get treated that way. There are places in the world today in Western countries where they're trying to make it illegal just to quote the King James Bible. They're calling that hate speech in some places. Now, this ain't this. Ain't, I ain't wearing a tin hat tonight. I'm talking about main mainline news reports in places like the UK where street preachers have been prosecuted for merely quoting and brother Fred evangelistic portions of the Word of God. I mean, not even talking about portions in the book of Leviticus uh, that condemn homosexuality and sodomy. And uh, that's the Word of God too. We ought to have the freedom to declare that as well. But I'm not even talking about those places. I'm talking about people quoting John 3.16 and being prosecuted in Western countries for doing things like that. Uh, I'm just saying this. We better get used to the message sometimes being met with hostility. Uh, the preaching of the cross is an offense 
to them that perish. It is offensive. And we need to get used to this idea. Now, I'm not trying to give you a martyr's complex. I'm just merely saying that not everybody's going to be happy when you share the gospel with them. We live in a world that hates God and hates Christ. The more secularized and humanistic our world becomes, the more it yields to that spirit of hatred of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ prophesied, said plainly, I don't even know that I'd really call it a prophecy. He just stated it plainly to His disciples that the world's going to hate you. And He says, it's not really you that the world hates, it's me that the world sees in you. And so we live in a world that is openly hostile to Bible Christianity. We need to know how to respond. And I think when we see what takes place in the life of Amos in Amos chapter number 7, uh, we get some good encouragement and some good instruction along those lines. Let's begin reading back at verse 7. Now, we're going to read a little bit about the plumb line. I'm not going to preach on it. I preached on it last Sunday night. But I want to give us a little context as we move into verses 10 through 17. So let's move back to verse number 7 begin our reading there. The Word of God says, Thus He showed me, meaning the Lord showed Amos, and behold, the Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumb line with a plumb line in His hand. The Lord said unto me, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a plumb line. Then said the Lord, behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not again pass by them any more. And the high places of Isaac shall be desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos hath conspired against thee in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos saith, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive out of their own land. Also Amaziah said unto Amos, O thou seer, go, flee thee away into the land of Judah, and there eat bread and prophesy there. But prophesy not again any more at Bethel, for it is the king's chapel, and it is the king's court. Then answered Amos and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet. Neither was I a prophet's son, but I was an herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said unto me, Go prophesy unto my people Israel. Now therefore hear thou the word of the Lord. Thou sayest, Prophesy not against Israel, and drop not thy word against the house of Isaac. Therefore thus saith the Lord, Thy wife shall be an harlot in the city, and thy sons and thy daughters shall fall by the sword, and thy land shall be divided by line, thou shalt die in a polluted land. And Israel shall surely go into captivity forth of his land. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and thank you for the privilege it is to be in your house tonight. Now I pray that you'd speak distinctly to each and every heart. May the Holy Spirit have free reign and liberty and governance in this service to administer it as He sees fit, Lord. And I just pray that each and every heart would be yielded unto You. And Lord, that there'd be no area of our life into which we put up uh, fences or boundaries, uh, nothing in our life that we set apart or set off limits from Your work and Your Word, but that we would yield ourselves totally unto You tonight, that You might do what You would in our lives and that Christ might receive glory. Lord, we love you and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when I read in Amos chapter number 7, and I and I made a promise, I said I'm not going to go back and review, and I'm not going to go back and review, but allow me to just uh, reminisce for a moment if you don't care. We preached last Sunday night on that plumb line, and uh, I'm going to summarize it for you. The plumb line, Ken, reminds me of the Word of God. God said, you know, a plumb line is a standard. 
And you drop a plumb line to see whether a wall is straight or whether a wall is crooked. And God says to Israel, I'm going to set a plumb line in the midst of you. In other words, He's saying, I'm going to see how you measure up to the Word of God. I'm going to lay a standard in your life. And judgment, the time of judgment has now come in which you're going to have to answer for how you've lived. And it is in that context that Amaziah, the false priest at Bethel, stands up to withstand the prophet Amos. Can I just say this tonight? The Word of God gets people riled up. It does. The Word of God is powerful. And if you don't believe that it is, you just go into a group of infidels and start quoting it, and you'll find out the Word of God is powerful. Uh, We use, we have all these modern words like triggered for it, but really what it is is offended. It's offended, and the world has always been offended at the Word of God. And it has nothing to do, I want you to listen now, it has nothing to do with casting aspersions. It has to do with claiming authority. The world doesn't hate the Word of God because it insults them. Uh, all kinds of things insult people. Amen. We, they'll go, they'll go and, and, and pay a $20 cover charge and, and buy, buy a two drink alcoholic minimum, brother Ken, to sit at a comedy club and pay a man to insult them. The world isn't bothered by being insulted. Amen. But the world is bothered by being instructed. And they're offended by the truth and authority of the Word of God. So I'm just saying it's no surprise to me that this man sat and listened to all that Amos had said and all that Amos had prophesied. But finally, when the Lord speaks through Amos, I'm going to lay the plumb line of God's Word against you and you won't escape it and you will not excuse yourself from it, but you're going to have to answer for how you measure up to the truth of the Word of God that was just a bridge too far for this false prophet. He said, we cannot allow this. Can I say this? Uh, Infidels are scared of the Word of God. They're terrified of it. It's funny to me that militant atheism uh, would work so hard against a God that they believe is a fairy tale. I mean, you 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 don't have petitions to get the Easter bunny out of school, do you? Uh, you don't have, you don't have, if there's, if Walmart puts up a picture of an Easter bunny uh, at Easter time to sell Easter baskets, uh, you don't have the freedom from religion, carpetbaggers coming down from other places uh, in the country and uh, stirring things up and starting petitions to stop people from seeing, Brother Ken, that picture of the, of the Easter bunny. You don't have that, do you? You know why? Because it's a fairy tale. And if you believe it's a fairy tale, why would you get upset about it? But they don't respond that way to the God of the Bible, do they? There's a venomous, vitriolic hatred towards the God of the Bible. They feel afraid of it. They feel threatened by it. And Amos, I, he said, now we've got to stand up and we've got to do something about this Amos. We cannot allow him to continue with these prophecies. And so as we read through this passage, there are four thoughts that occur to me. And really, this passage, verses 10 through 17, divide themselves rather neatly in sort of couplets of two verses. In fact, in verses 10 and 11, the first thing I notice is the slander that Amos received. You know, the first thing that Amaziah started doing is lying about Amos and misrepresenting Amos as being an enemy of the people of Israel. 
Can I tell you this, that we as Bible-believing Christians, we have for quite a while been cast as being enemies of the public good, uh, enemies of that which would benefit society. In fact, uh, one of the things uh, historically uh, secular humanism has sought to do anytime there was any conflict and contest as regards uh, ideology and theology in the public arena is they wanted to claim that Bible believers were unscientific, uh, that they were that they were unkind, uh, that what they were doing in teaching their children biblical creationism and uh, teaching their children that there's a God in heaven that He created all things, that in doing that they were harming the public good. I'm saying this, this ain't a new tactic. Uh, for a long time, Christians have been slandered. You can go back through tyrannies throughout human history, secular tyrannies and pagan tyrannies, and you can find that one of the things they always sought to do was to slander. Anytime Christians uh, started uh, swelling in society, the numbers of Christians, and, and they started to see people saved, they began to slander. That's what Nero did in Rome. And they began to slander the Christians and claim that all problems in society were the product of Christianity. You know, we're seeing that happen today in the day that we live in. I notice a few things that they accused him of. Number one, they accused him of conspiratorial treason. They said about Amos that Amos hath conspired against thee in the midst of the house of Israel. They called him, we would call it un-American, they would call it un-Israeli, I suppose. But they essentially said that, that he was seeking to overthrow and subvert the rule of public law. We hear this all the time in our modern society. Our, our nation, by the way, I, people say sometimes, well, are we a Christian nation? And I struggle sometimes to really know what that means. Uh, I think a nation is only Christian in as much as the people that live within it are Christian people saved by the grace of God that fear God and live for God. Certainly there was a time we were more Christian than we are the day that we live in. There is another way, another another concept through which, another lens through which we can interpret whether our nation's a Christian nation. And that is, uh, is the basic system of law seem to be appreciable of or supporting of basic biblical tenets. And I purport to you that uh, America in that respect uh, has been the most Christian nation in human history. Uh, now, somebody's going to say, well, what about the land of Israel? Well, the land of Israel wasn't Christian. It was Jewish. Certainly, it was in line with the uh, with, with uh, the truth of the Word of God in its uh, political and social structure. But I'm talking about a Christian nation. There's never been a nation as Christian as America has been since her inception. But now we are being told that to preach the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is to flout the law, that to uh, that to stand boldly and declare the truth of the Word of God uh, is to really sin against the state and the liberty of conscience uh, that people are allowed. It, it's interesting that that group had to change their name, uh, not freedom of religion. They call themselves freedom from religion. They don't believe in liberty. You listen to me tonight? They don't believe in liberty. If they believed in liberty, they believe they would believe that you had the right to religion or you have the right to not have religion. It's not, a, it's not a movement of liberty. It is a movement of tyranny. They want to rip God from public conscience and keep people from knowing who God is. I'm saying this, there's always been an attempt to cast Christians as being treasonous in their behavior. Uh, this started, by the way, we see it in, in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, one of the things that, uh, that they accused the Lord Jesus of was of trying to subvert Caesar and overthrow uh, the Roman throne. Uh, they tried on multiple occasions to get him to commit treason uh, in the things that he taught and the things that he said. They came to him and asked him, of course, the question about the tribute money and uh, should we pay tribute unto Caesar? What were they trying to do? They were trying to suggest that 
that he was a treasonous man, that he was a troublemaking man, that he was trying to cast off uh, Caesar's yoke and Caesar's rule. So much so that whenever uh, Pontius Pilate brought him out and said, Behold your king, they said, We have no king but Caesar. And I'll remind you that the throne that Jesus will occupy will be greater, more authoritative, more vast and more sure than any throne that any Caesar or emperor has ever sat upon. Uh, ever sat upon. But they have always sought to cast Christians as being, we might say, against the public good. Against the public good. And that's what they were trying to say about Amos. They were trying to say, he hath conspired. It's interesting they say conspired. Conspired with who? Him and God? He didn't have no movement. We don't read of Amos and, and, and his buddies. We don't read of Amos and the three rangers. It's just Amos. So who are they accusing him of conspiring with? Uh, they say he's conspired against. I guess if he did, it was him and God that got together and got a message together for the land of Israel. Amos hath conspired against thee in the midst of the house of Israel. Now, he's talking to Jeroboam, and he's saying that what Amos wants to do is overthrow you. No, that's not true. What Amos wanted to do was spare the king and save the king and keep him from heartache. But understand that in a world that is drunk on God-hatred, rationale and truth are irrelevant. You listening to me? In a world that is drunk on God-hatred, rationale and truth are irrelevant. We are seeing in terrifying manner just how irrelevant truth can become in our society today. People are disregarding truth in every way, shape, fashion, and form. And that's just going to continue more and more. We need to understand there will be times we will be the the, uh, the objects of slander. So they, they, they accused him of conspiratorial treason. Number two, they accused him of causing trouble. They said the land is not able to bear all his words. In other words, it said, all the problems we got here, Brother Fred, is because Amos is prophesying. We would be having peace. We would be having quiet. We would be having a serenity were it not for this troublemaker, Amos, that is stirring things up in the land that we live in. Man, this is something that's going on across the board just in general. It's amazing. Uh, it, it is a mind trick that people will play against you where they will cry foul while they hit you. They'll cry foul while they hit you. <laughs> cry out in pain as they pummel you. And we see this in our society today. Already Christians are being targeted as being the source of all societal upheaval. And we are being told that if we could just get the Christians under control, just get them to quit praying out in public, just get them to quit uh, trying to educate their kids in their own way, uh, just get them to quit uh, expecting to have a voice at the ballot box, just get them to quit uh, causing so much trouble, Brother Kim, then everything would be peaceful. I, I would I would suggest to you that the most unpeaceful places in our country are places where secular humanism has a foothold. It is not in the places where God is feared. It's not in the places where church bells ring. It's in the places where secular humanism reigns supreme. That cities are burning down tonight. That people are being murdered tonight. I'm saying this. It's not God that's caused the upheaval in our community. And it's not the Bible that's caused it. And it's sure enough not God's people that have caused it. Anywhere where there's no God, there's chaos. Anywhere where God is not, there is chaos. 
And we're seeing that all across our society. But just understand, as a Bible believer, you're going to be treated as an agitator, as a troublemaker, as the source of problems, as the source of uh, of, of discontentment and discord. And uh, that's something that took place. Listen, you've probably experienced it in your workplace before, uh, where uh, just doing something that would be similar to what another co-worker would do, except you're doing it in a Christian manner, you are treated as though you are the one that is being disruptive and causing problems. I'm just saying we need to understand that is our lot, that is something that is going to be coming towards us more in these days that we live in. And then I notice a third thing that they slandered him of. They slandered him of conspiratorial treason. Uh, he was trying to overthrow Jeroboam and he, he had no respect for the government that was instituted there. That wasn't true. I'd say this, Amos was the greatest patriot in the northern kingdom and he wasn't even a citizen of that kingdom. He cared more about the northern kingdom, Brother Ken, than probably just about anybody else, except maybe another prophet living at that time, cared about the northern kingdom. And yet he was cast as somebody that hated the northern kingdom because he cried out against it. And let me say, when we when we look at the injustice in our world and we look at the wickedness in our world, uh, when we call out the sin of our society, very often in a very superficial, shallow way, we will be cast as being people that are haters of government, haters of society, haters of the law of the land. It's amazing how that term, the law of the land, has become so pervasive. Every perverted thing, listen, every perverted thing that society can think of, they legalize and then say, well, it's the law of the land, like that is some kind of divine authority. I would say this, the law of the Lord is more important than the law of the land. Now you say, well, preacher, that makes you treasonous. Well, they might hang me that way, I don't know, but I don't think it does make me treasonous. For I think to keep the law of the Lord is to love the people of the land. So I think they, they accused him of, of uh, conspiratorial treason. Number two, they accused him of causing trouble. Then notice, I, man, this is amazing. Look at verse 11. For thus Amos saith. So now Amos' eyes put words in Amos's mouth. He's not letting Amos speak for himself. Amos is there apparently because in verse 12, Amos said, uh, Amos' eyes said unto Amos. So Amos is there, but he don't want to let him speak for himself. He's trying to silence voices. You hear me? trying to silence people's voices, because that's what oppression and tyranny does. It tries to silence people's voices. And Amaziah, he tries to silence Amos's voice and put words in his mouth. And notice what he accused him of. For thus Amos saith, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive out of their own land. Now, what was he accusing Amos of doing here? This is interesting to me. If I knew somebody was coming after me to kill me with a sword, and you warned me of it, Brother Ken, I wouldn't think you were my enemy. I'd think you were my friend. If somebody was going to come and kidnap my family uh, and carry them away to another land and enslave us and abuse us, and, and somebody warned me against it, Brother Charlie, if you warned me, I wouldn't think you were my enemy. I would think you were my friend. The only reason I would treat that hostily is if I didn't believe what you were saying or I didn't want to face the truth and reality of what you were saying. So here's what they did, Brother Charlie. He looked at him and he accused him of cruel talking. He accused him of hateful speech. He said, how dare you say that the king is going to die by the sword? Well, there's a few problems with that. Number one, that's not what Amos said. Amos said the house of Jeroboam shall die by the sword. So, depending on how you look at it, that's either better or worse. <laughs> I guess you can say it's better because he never said Jeroboam himself, but he did say that all of Jeroboam's descendants were going to die by the sword. Uh, but you see, Amaziah got it wrong. You know why? Because he didn't really care about what Amos said. He cared about what he could do with what he could claim Amos said. This is a man that had no value or respect for the truth. 
And, and, and the second problem with what he said is what he said is not at its very face value. It's not a hateful thing. It is a kind thing to warn people if they're going the wrong direction. It's a kind thing to seek to spare them of the heartache and the trouble and the turmoil that is produced from a life that is lived in sin. But you see, when people are not ready to give up their sin, they turn around and they rend you and they treat you as though you are the product of their uh, of their sadness and sorrow and uncomfortableness in life. We're seeing this all around us today. All around us today. We see it in every facet of society. Can I give you one small example? Uh, there are places all over Western countries, and we've seen this most markedly in Canada take place. Uh, in Canada, they can jail you for refusing to call someone that quote-unquote identifies as another gender by that pronoun. So in other words, if you look at that person and say, I'm not, I, listen, I don't hate you, I'm not trying to be rude to you, but I'm not going to play along with your delusion and your fantasy, it's not healthy for you, and I'm not going to enable you in this, you may say that you identify this way, but that's not how biological science works. Uh, I, I'm sorry, I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to lie to you, and I'm not going to lie to me, and I'm not going to lie to everybody else, and I'm not going to indulge your delusional, destructive fantasy by calling you by some pronoun that you are not. They'll put you in jail for that. They'll fine you for it, and if you refuse to to pay the fine, they'll put you in jail. Every law has a gun behind it somewhere. You hear me? I didn't say government doesn't have the authority to wield a gun. That's why we have government. But you just need to understand that's why laws matter, and that's why they're important, because every law at the very end of the day has a gun attached to it. It's got a gun behind it. If you don't follow it, they'll fine you. If you don't pay the fine, uh, they'll arrest you. If you don't comply with arrest, they'll put you in jail. If you uh, refuse to comply with being in prison, Brother Ken, they'll kill you. Am I right? Is this controversial? I, didn't, I, don't, I don't even know anymore what's controversial. Seems like we would all understand that, right? So when they outlaw that, that when, they, when they have these speech laws, and they say, well, you have to call somebody by someone else, you know, uh, call them by their pronoun or whatever, uh, at the end of the day, there's a gun behind every bit of it. And if you refuse to enable that, then they will cast you as a hateful person. They will cast you as someone that is that is uh, participating in hate speech. Now, they don't want to talk about the fact that the suicide rate amongst transgender teenagers is 40%. They don't want to talk about the fact that this is, this is systematic, biological and sexual abuse of these people, that they are pumping them full of hormones and destroying their development of their body and ruining any possibility that they may one day be able to lead a happy and productive life. Also, they can virtue signal themselves to those around that they are more virtuous in raising a trans child or whatever it might be. That is a very heightened epitome of vicious and cruel child abuse. But if you say anything against that, that's treated as hate speech. You're treated as the aggressor. You're treated as the hater. Even though... Uh, it is a destructive lifestyle. If you talk about the fact that homosexuality, the homosexuals make up something like 2%, that's an old uh, data point, but something like 2% of, uh, of uh, society, and yet they are 40% of pedophiles, that's considered hate speech. I thought we were supposed to love the children, not want children to be abused and to be hurt. I'm just saying this, we're treated as though we are, we are participators in hate speech, Brother Charlie. There are people in this country who would jail me for what I just said. And they may do it one day. They are so obsessed with the notion of controlling people's very actions and speech and what they can say and what they cannot say. And I'm just saying this to you tonight, we better get used to it. We better get used to it. Not by complying, but by getting some courage. 
because it's coming down the pike. So I see the, the slander that Amos received. Number two, I see the scorn that Amos received. So look what it says in verse number 12. We then find what, what Amaziah says to Amos himself. Also Amaziah said unto Amos, O thou seer, go, flee away into the land of Judah, and there eat bread and prophesy there. There's two things I want to say about this, and I think they're both worthwhile to say. You notice what he said. He said, Amos, you can practice your religion, but you practice it within the confines of your own home. We don't have religious liberty if we can't practice it outside of the home. You hearing me? If we can't practice our our worship of God in a public place, I'm not talking about forcing others to participate in it. I'm talking about if we can't participate in it in a public manner, we don't have religious liberty. We don't have religious freedom if we get to that place. And that is the clarion call. That is the theme in the note that you'll hear talked about in much of secular and progressive society today is they'll say, we don't care if the Christians pray, but they're not going to do it at a football game. We don't care if the Christians pray, but they're not going to do it in public at a restaurant. Care if the Christians pray, but they're not at the opening of a city council meeting because of this, because of this delusion uh, that they've developed that separation of church and state means separation of God from government, which has never been the case. Which has never been the case. Which has never been the case. I'm saying this tonight. Are you listening to me? I'm saying they're going to cut, we're already there where they're saying it's okay for you to be a Christian. Ain't nobody infringing on your rights. You can still be a Christian. You just go and sit in your own home and do it. You say, how do you know that preacher? Because for several months we were told you can still go to church. You just go and sit at home and go to church. This ain't even controversial, is it? I mean, I don't even, I don't even understand how this is controversial. This happened. You know this happened, right? I mean, this isn't something I'm making up. This happened, right? Where they said you still have religious freedom because you can go home and sit in your house and click on Facebook and have church. And people said, but I don't want to do that. I want to go and I want to sit in my church and I want to worship with God's people. And they said, you can't do that. You don't have the freedom to do that. People say, well, that's an infringement upon my constitutional freedom. They said, no, it's not. You can worship God. You just have to sit at home and do it. I mean, this happened. We're not living in some weird twilight. I didn't just, I'm not Rip Van Winkle, right? I didn't wake up from a 30 year dream and none of this really happened. This did happen, correct? We're already there. We're already there. So this theme that secular humanists have been, have been, the, the, the drum they've been beating for 40 years now, 50 years now, where they've been saying Christians can worship God, but they need to do it in their own house. It ain't nothing new. That's what Amaziah said to Amos. He said, you go prophesy all you want, but you're going to do it in Judah. You're going to do it in your home. So what was he scorning him as? Well, I noticed about three things. One, they scorned him as an intruder and interferer. They said, Amos, you have no business and no right being up here. And we will often be told that when we go out and share the gospel, witness to people. Um, I can't tell you how many people are ignorant of even basic things like trespass laws. Now, I want you to listen to me very carefully. Uh, we ought to be respectful when we go to somebody's door. We should, man. It's their property. We are there as a guest of them. If they don't want us there, we have no legal right to be there. Uh, but I can't tell you the numbers of times that I have seen, I'm talking about like jacked up power hungry uh, supers at apartment complexes try to start quoting and pointing to their no trespassing signs. You know what I had somebody tell me one time, this always stuck with me, we was going out to knock on doors and we were going to go into an apartment complex and, and uh, we said, well, what do we do if they come to us and tell us that, you know, you can't, no soliciting and you can't trespass. And, and I said, well, t- the, the fellow looked at me and said two things. One, uh, 
the person that owns that apartment complex has no right to tell the person that rents that apartment that they can't receive you as a visitor at their door. They have no legal right. I'm talking about legality. They have no legal right to say that you can't go up and knock on that person's door because they do not get to make the decision for that person as regards that place. But then the second thing uh, that they told me, they said, well, I said, well, what about the soliciting? And it's very clear in Knoxville City Ordinance and City Code that if a person goes and they are not trying to get money, they are not trying to sell a product, that they are not soliciting. Do you know that even in the city ordinance of Knoxville, even in the soliciting codes, uh, where soliciting is defined, it also says that public schools and nonprofits are exempted from the no solicitation statute. Now, I don't say all that to educate you on city laws and ordinances. You can go online, you can read those things uh, yourself. I'm just merely saying this, that sometimes the world will use things like that to cast us as being unwelcome intruders in public life. And they'll say, why don't you just go back to where you belong and worship your God there? And I would say this, that they have no more right uh, to the roads that we drive up and down. Uh, They have no more right to the public spaces that we share uh, than we as Bible-believing Christians do. Isn't that right? They have no more right to it than we do. But we'll still be cast that way as intruders and interferers. I'm losing you all. You all better stick with me. Number two, he was scorned as indulgent and idle. Here's what he said. There eat bread and prophesy there. You know what he was saying? He was saying to Amos, the only reason you're up here prophesying is because you can hang out in this court and eat the king's bread. He was saying the only thing you're in it for is what you can get out of it. So why don't you go back there and eat bread and prophesy there? He scorned him as being indulgent and idle, as being just in it for themselves. This is another tactic of the adversary. Uh, You're seeing it more present in society today uh, where uh, media and where Hollywood and where culture in general will cast Christians in a negative light, distinctly and discriminatorily. Uh, It's interesting. I don't know if you all remember... But about a year or two ago, there was a, a big video thing that came out that was, it was a big deal, um, where there was, President Trump was supposed to be, uh, shooting up all these news logos and stuff. And do you remember, do anybody know what I'm talking about? There was like a movie Hollywood scene and they had superimposed President Trump's face on somebody. And then all the people inside this church or wherever, uh, they superimposed media logos and faces. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Don't act like you don't watch the news. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And, and, and people were all tore up about it. They said, man, that's so violent and that's so discriminatory and that's so vitriolic and that's so evil. Uh, you know what's funny? That actual scene from that Hollywood movie is about a guy going in and murdering a bunch of church people inside a church house. Now, isn't that funny that nobody cared about that, Brother Ken, until it was brother, until it was not brother, until it was Donald Trump attacking the media. Then all of a sudden people cared. But back when it was just some fella in Hollywood portraying the slaughter and murder of Christians, nobody even cared anything about it. You see this all over the place, man. You see where Christians are painted as being selfish people, as being stupid people, as being sensual people. Does that compute with what you see in the world around you? You know what I see when I see God's people? Admittedly, I see flawed individuals. Admittedly, I see people that are indeed people. But I also see people that love one another. I, I, I see people that care about one another. I see people that will go to the ends of the earth to help one another. But we are cast that way as being indulgent and idle, as just looking out for our self interest. And then notice the third thing. They scorned him as being idolatrous. And insignificant. Verse 13, but prophesy not again anymore at Bethel. Uh, 
Now, Bethel was sort of to the northern kingdom what Jerusalem was to the southern kingdom. They had built their temple at Bethel, their main temple, and that's where they worshipped, and that's where the king kept court. And uh, That's the reason that Amaziah is there at that moment, because he's the false priest of this false religion. And so they look at Amos and say, prophesy not again anymore at Bethel, for it is the king's chapel and it is the king's court. I think that's interesting the way they say it's the king's chapel. You know what he was saying? He was saying the state religion of this northern kingdom is the worship of this cow at this altar in Bethel. And when you come up in here, you got no business coming up in here because you're preaching a false god to us. Then they said it's the king's court. You know what he was saying? He was saying a hayseed like you, Amos, with no training, with no background... Uh, somebody that has no royal blood, uh, somebody that has no history or testimony of a vast and illustrious career, you got no business in the king's court. In other words, he scorned him as being idolatrous, number one, as being a preacher of false gods. It's funny how people have created this, this radical aura around Bible Christianity, Brother Ken, where to believe the Bible is considered a radical thing. If you tell somebody, I believe the Bible, I believe the King James Bible is the preserved, inspired, inerrant Word of God, and I believe it's exactly what God said it, it, it should be, and I, I believe that the things that it says happened, happened exactly like God said it happened. Now, we don't see this, because most of us are probably, uh, I, I know uh, most of us are Bible believers, we hang around church people, we hang around Christians, but you go out into a secular world and you say that, and they'll look at you like you just walked off of a spaceship. Like that's weird. Like, that's weird. You go back 50 years in society, and the vast majority of people, they may not have believed it in their heart, but that was the position that they took. But there has been this ethos painted and portrayed around Bible Christianity that it is a strange God that people are seeking to worship. You want to you know a small, just microcosmic example of that? You know, today, you're treated as if you're strange for believing that marriage is between one man and one woman. Like, you know Barack Obama ran on that in his first term, right? That marriage was between one man and one woman. You know that Hillary Clinton up until like the last hot minute is on the microphone saying that she believes that marriage is between one man and one woman. Of course, I think she before... <laughs> Let's just say she probably understood the importance of fidelity. But you're treated, Brother Larry, as if you say that like, what, would you come out of a time machine? I'm talking about like 10 years ago. I'm talking about like that was the position Barack Obama held. And you're treated as though you're just a lunatic if you believe marriage is between one man and one woman. And we're about five minutes away from all this trans garbage being treated that same way. And then about five further minutes from pedophilia being treated that way. Just this rewriting of history as though being a Bible Christian is this strange worshiper. And that's what they said about Paul. He's a worshiper of strange gods. Uh, The only difference is, back in Paul's day, they didn't know nothing about the resurrection in Athens. We've been brought up in a Christian country that was founded upon the truth of the Bible. But there's a vast propaganda wing. I said there's a vast propaganda arm that's seeking to rewrite and recompute the culture of our country in a new and fresh way. You say, oh, that's conspiracy, preacher. Well, then you tell me how it's happened. You tell me how it's happened that in ten years the needle has moved that much. 
that much. I'm talking about that much. The only way is it has to be intentional. Now, if you don't want to believe that, that's fine. It's your business. I'm just saying I believe that one of the ways that they do that is they cast Bible-believing Christians as though we're some kind of strange creatures, like we got three eyes or something for believing the Bible. And number two, I noticed they, you know what he said? He treated him like he was insignificant. <laughs> Amos, you think you can make a difference here at Bethel? <laughs> I mean, you know you're in the king's court, right? And who do you think you are coming up here and preaching this message? We have this uh, general spirit and attitude towards Bible-believing Christians, particularly when we take a stand on Bible truth, as though, listen, indulge yourself if you want and, and claim that you worship your God, but it's really going to make no difference in any way. Now, here's what I would say. I'd say the devil's scared of the Bible. I'd say the devil's scared of the Bible, wouldn't you? I'd say there's a reason that, that you don't have anti-Buddha sentiment in our country. We don't do we, Brother Fred? I mean, I don't, I don't know, I don't know about the Freedom from Religion Foundation calling up the Buddhist temples. I ain't heard nothing about that, have you? I ain't heard nothing about that. I, I ain't heard about them putting petitions forth for all the, all the little fat Buddha idols we took out of our favorite Chinese restaurants. I ain't heard nothing about that, have you? Man, it's just something about this God of the Bible. This Christian God. You see, they want to treat us as though we're insignificant, but here's the reality. The church has always been the singular most powerful entity ever since its inception in the world around us. We are the light. We are the salt. What's the point of light? It cuts the darkness. What's the point of salt? It flavors the food. It's the thing that makes the difference. And I'm saying this, we may be treated as though we're insignificant, but that is only because the devil has a fear of the church ever waking up and realizing her real true power. That she's the only one that can do anything about it. She's the only one that can do anything about it. If politicians was going to fix it, when in the past 200 years do you think they would have gotten to that? After which recess do you think they would have fixed our society's problems? I think it's out, I think it's beyond their pay grade. And they got a pretty high pay, Brother Ken. I think they can't do it. I think it doesn't matter, President. Your president, their president, my president, his president, her president. Don't seem like any of them really move the needle that much. Oh, that's all right. Pour it on. That's okay. It's all right. I, I, I guess what I'm saying is this. There's only one entity that can make a difference in the world we live in. And it's the one about which the Lord Jesus said the gates of hell shall not prevail against. So they, I, I see the scorn that he received. Then I notice... The, the story that he recounted. So Amos says, you got no, or Amos I says, you got no business being here, Amos. You, you're a nobody. The story was told. <laughs> I like this one commentary to shared a story about Dr. William Carey, who of course was a famous missionary to the Indian continent back in the 1800s. And of course at that time, uh, you know, India was under British rule. And so there were a lot of rich people and, and dignitaries and politicians and stuff be traveling to India all the time. And it was said that Dr. Carey was on a boat headed to India as a missionary. And uh, he was around a bunch of society people. And uh, one of the society, they didn't care for him too much because he wasn't an educated man. And they just sort of looked at him as though he was a wild eyed fanatic and you know what business did he have going to India as a missionary and one of the fellows looked at him and uh, and said to him uh, Dr. Carey it's my understanding that uh, you were a cobbler before you became a missionary now as fat Tennesseans think about a dessert but a cobbler is someone that makes shoes and he meant that as kind of an insult right like William Carey should kind of be you know kind of embarrassed about that Dr. Carey looked at him and said, No, sir, I was not. 
I was a repair man. I never learned how to make shoes. I would only repair them when they would come into the shop. That's kind of what Amos did. Amos' eyes said, you're a terrible prophet. Amos said, I never was a prophet. I was a farmer. I was a gatherer of sycamore fruit. I was a follower of the herd. I didn't sign up for this to be a big name prophet, Amaziah. In fact, I didn't sign up for it at all. He mentions his credentials. You know what they are? None. You know why that's important? Because to be a soul winner, you know what your credentials have to be? Saved. That's it. Saved by the grace of God. We might say it this way. Know what you're talking about because you've been born again. That's that's your credentials. Amos said, I, I was no prophet. I wasn't the son of a prophet. I didn't come by this by lineage or heritage. But he mentions his career. He said, I was out in the field and I was a gatherer of sycamore fruit. That, that's about as lowly a job as you can get, Brother Ken. Was a gatherer of sycamore. He didn't say, I'm a grower of sycamore fruit. He said, I'm a gatherer. I don't even own the trees. I just go and gather up what's there. And uh, they would gather up this sycamore fruit and sell it to poor folks. That that's the only kind of food that they would that that they could afford. And uh, Amos's job was to wait on those people. He was about as lowly as it comes. Then he mentions his calling. He said, "But the Lord took me." That's how it happened to me. He took me. <laughs> I got shanghaied into ministry. <laughs> he took me. I signed up to teach a Sunday school class, and here I am 15 years later. He took me. I didn't sign up for this. I didn't grow up in a preacher's home. I grew up with wonderful parents. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade them for a hundred preachers. And Mama can talk as much as a hundred preachers, but I wouldn't trade them for a hundred preachers. I don't regret it one bit, but I'm just saying, I wasn't raised with this thing of you're going to be a preacher one day. I think they was, would be happy if I, if I, if I had a name and not a number when I was growing up, uh, by the time I was 35. And so I, you know, I didn't, I didn't grow up expecting this. And I went to, uh, people have asked me, I had somebody ask me the other day, they said, uh, tell me about your education. And I always think that's really funny. I always sort of laugh inside when they say that, and I kind of get excited because I can't wait to tell them. I don't have one. I mean, I got a high school diploma. I'm not even sure how deserved it is. But I'll tell them, I'll say, uh, they'll say, did you go to college? And I'll say, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am, I did. Sure did. And I'll say, really? Really? What, now, where did you go to college? And they want to hear like, like you know, Luther Rice or Andersonville or something like that. And I always tell them, I always say, I, I took uh, <clears throat> one semester of computer automated drafting and design at Pellissippi. I was enrolled for three semesters, but I was only in class the combined equivalent of about one semester. I didn't finish. I, now, listen, I'm not saying any of that to say that's good. I'm not, I'm not touting that. We're joking about it and saying it tongue-in-cheek. And, and I feel no shame over, over my history. I am what I am by the grace of God. Uh, and, and I hope and I trust that His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. All right? I can't say I've labored more abundantly than they all, but I, but I trust it's not been in vain. But I'm, I'm just saying this. You know what the credentials are? <laughs> the credentials is being saved and surrendered to the will and work of God. I didn't, I didn't sign up for this. The Lord took me. He put me in it. And here I am today. If He takes me out of it tomorrow, I wouldn't like it. I'd fight kicking and screaming, but I reckon it's His work and His will and His wisdom, and I just have to accept it and go on and, and rejoice in Him. But I'm saying I didn't sign up for this. Thing. I, I, he took me. 
That's what Amos says. He took me. So that's the story that he recounts. But then notice the, uh, no, notice the, the sermon that he revealed. He says, uh, basically two things. And here is really where we summarize things. Some of you say, I wish you would, preacher. Look with me at verse number 16 and 17. Now, it's easy to think this is him being cruel, but I don't think it is. Verse 16, he says, now, therefore, therefore, Hear thou the word of the Lord. Thou sayest, prophesy not against Israel, and drop not thy word against the house of Isaac. Therefore thus saith the Lord, Thy wife shall be an harlot in the city, and thy sons and thy daughters shall fall by the sword, and thy land shall be divided by line, and thou shalt die in a polluted land. What was the sermon that he related? What was the sermon that he shared. It's basically twofold. And you know what the first is? He looks at Amos' eye, and that word therefore, uh, one preacher said it this way, the therefores are there for a reason. When he says now therefore, what he's saying is, because you have rejected the witness and word of God, because you have refused to consider and to heed God's warning, because of all that, Amaziah, your wife's going to be a harlot in the city, your children are going to die by the sword, your land's going to be divided and you're going to die in a polluted land. In other words, here's what he was saying. You've been telling me not to prophesy, but if you'd only just listen to the warning, you'd be spared. In other words, this is the basic fundamental first truth of his message, that to ignore God's warning is to invite God's wrath. Now, stop and think about it. Inasmuch as you and I go out and share the gospel with people, that's really the first basic fundamental truth of what we're wanting to relate across to them. Now, I understand it's the gospel that saves men, but I'm saying the reason that we go out and the thing that we're trying to get them to understand is you can ignore what God's Word says, but it won't spare you. In fact, it will hasten. It will hasten the punishment and judgment of God in your life. To ignore God's warning is to invite God's wrath. You know why we go out? Because folks that never, listen, folks that never hear the gospel, folks that never hear the gospel, I, I disagree with some people about this. But some people believe if a person's never heard a clear presentation of the gospel and they die, that they die and they're saved. I don't believe that. The book of Romans tells me uh, that there's enough witness in the stars uh, there's enough witness in the conscience. Uh, there's enough witness uh, in society to condemn a man though not to redeem a man. I believe that if, if, if people that have never heard the gospel are just by default and, and de facto born again, we got no business supporting missions. And why did God ever want the gospel to spread beyond Jerusalem? What an act of cruelty uh, to give untold billions of people throughout human history the opportunity to be damned to a devil's hell. That'd be cruel. Now, there's another way of looking at that, and it's the Bible way that the times this ignorance God winked at, but now He calleth all men everywhere to repent, that there's nothing under their name given under heaven, given among men, whereby you must be saved in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So yes, indeed, a person that has never heard the gospel can die and go to hell as a result of that. By every biblical truth, by every biblical foundation, precedent, and example, we find that to be true. So you know why we go out and share the gospel? Because they may have never heard the gospel, but that don't mean they won't die in their lost condition and die and go to hell. You know their only hope is if they do hear the gospel. To ignore God's warning is to invite God's wrath. And you know, then there's a second basic principle. And he presents it in the negative, but I want to show it to you in the positive as well. Look at the end of verse 17. I'm going to say this and be done. Israel 
shall surely go into captivity forth of his land. You know what he's saying? He's saying you may not like it. You may ignore it. You may dismiss it. But the promise of God concerning Israel is true. So here's what he's saying. And this was a common theme, by the way. When the southern kingdom of Judah fell to the Babylonians... Uh, one of the things they did to Jeremiah is they told him he needed to lay off his uh, doom and gloom and just start preaching peace. He said, get with the program, Jeremiah. All of us have realized that we just need to be preaching peace. Why are you preaching all this doom and gloom? And uh, they told him he better, he better straighten up and he better change what he was saying because it was upsetting people that he was preaching that the Babylonians were going to kick down their front door and carry them captive. And uh, essentially, here's, here's what's taking place here. They're saying, Amos... Why is it that you have to keep preaching this negative message? This isn't going to happen. You're an alarmist. Boy, man, I'm I'm tired of being called an alarmist. I'm talking about as a Bible Christian. I'm not saying it's been me throughout the years. But man, at at a certain point, Ken, at a certain point, you'd think we could look at where we're at today and say this, some of those old men of God sure were right in what they warned us about. They warned us about blending genders. And now people don't know what bathroom to use. They, they warned us about this thing of prayer in the schools. And now they don't want you praying anywhere except inside your home. They warned us about the authority of the Word of God. And now in some places in the West, it's illegal to even quote the Bible. You'd think at some point we'd sit back and say, man, them old timers were right. We should have listened to them. They knew what they, they might look funny. They might have got caught up on some silly little things sometimes. I know they did, and you did too. But listen, I'd sure enough rather take the world that they were fighting for than the world that we have today. I'd, I'd sure enough rather take the world that they desired and fought for than the world that we have today. People called them alarmists. Said you're being crazy, you're being ridiculous, you're being paranoid. And now we're living out their worst fears. They said to Jeroboam, they said, uh, why are you making such a big fuss about this? Won't you just preach peace like everybody else is? Uh, or they said to, to Amos, Jer- uh, Amos, I said to Amos, I'll get it said in a second about Jeroboam. Why are you doing this? And Amos looks at him and says, you can, you can dismiss God's promise, but to deny God's promise is to deceive oneself. See, that's the other part of his sermon. The first, Brother Charlie, is to invite, to ignore God's warning is to invite God's wrath. That's why we share the gospel with people. Because they can die and go to hell having never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. You know the second reason we share the gospel with them? Because to deny God's promise. Now, Amos gives it in the negative here that God had promised destruction. But I'm glad that here in this dispensation of grace, while it is true we need to warn people of the destructiveness of sin as regards God's promise, we can give it in the positive and remind them that God has promised salvation to all those that will come unto Him by faith through grace. And we need to remind them that to deny and to dismiss God's promise is only to deceive oneself. We're winding this thing up. Not the sermon. we still got another 45 minutes of that. But No, I'm talking about this thing of time. We're winding her up. I'm saying that we need we need to we need to be out there as as a Bible believer, bold in our testimony. We're gonna we're gonna face opposition. Mark her down. We're gonna face opposition. We were foolish to ever think there was a scenario in which we wouldn't face opposition. 
The, the delusion, listen, the delusion is not that opposition exists. The delusion was that we ever believed we could live generation after generation after generation in any country all over the world before Christ sits on His throne and there not be opposition. This is the aberration. This is the anomaly. This world and this country and this age that we have lived in over the past few hundred years. So we better mark her down and get used to it. But you know why we keep going? Because people that have never heard the gospel can still die in their sins and go to hell. And because God has given a promise. Listen, God has given a promise that all those that come unto Him, He will in no wise cast them out. And they can ignore the promise of God's punishment and it will not forestall it. They can ignore the promise of God's peace and it will not deliver them. But if they'll just look to Him that has made those promises, He can save them and change their life afresh and anew. I'm saying it matters. That's all I'm saying. I'm just saying it. Maybe it took me 45 minutes to get there, but I'm just saying it matters. It matters to be a Christian. It matters to take a stand. It's the only thing that matters in this world that we live in. And what I mean by that is it's the only thing that makes a difference in this world that we live in. I wonder if we'd be willing to stand the way that Amos did and speak the truth in love and share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow together tonight. As a musician comes to play. The altar is open. And I've already preached my message. I won't preach another one. But if God has touched your heart, I wonder if you'd be willing to respond obediently unto Him this evening. Uh, bow your head and your heart before Him and bow the knee before Him. And just say, Lord, I want you to have your will. I want you to have your way. Father, bless this invitation. May it glorify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in His name. With